Did I do it? Sorry, sorry, I was fixing my camera and it messed up. So, how's everybody doing? I am your host, Nate. We're here live on the Artist Exchange Radio Show. We have a guest coming up today. Well, he's been on the show before. Um, he's an author, uh, teacher, um, and a businessman. So, he's going to tell us a little bit about the business of being an author, um, as well as um, giving us a little bit of insight on his latest book that he has coming out. And we're going to learn a little bit about him as an author, as an artist, as a retired uh, corporate uh, employee and such. Um, but before we get started with the interview, <clears throat> I just wanted to say, well, Monty doesn't want me to say the real word, but the poop show is now in its second phase. That's it, not what I said. You can say you can say the real word. Uh, oh God! Well, the shit show the shit show has started. Um, now the drugstores, I believe Walmart, Walgreens, Rite Aid, CVS, uh, and I think Target are all now uh, administering the vaccine to. Um, the public, I believe you have to go on their website and and book an appointment. You get there, and there's a person at the front that is checking you in, making sure you you are who you are, checking uh, IDs, driver's license, and such. Um, but it seems very disorganized. Uh, and the CVSs in my neighborhood, um, I remember when we were, you could go in the parking lot and get your swab done to test and see if you had the coronavirus. Um, and that's a question. So when you go to get the vaccine, do they make you get a test first? Or does it matter whether you have coronavirus or not? Um, I didn't read that anywhere. And that question just popped in my mind. So I wonder if you could take this test, if you can get the vaccine, if you have coronavirus, or do they, I don't know. I, I don't believe that works. Anyway, but so the CVS by me, I'm in there trying to, you know, get some things done. And um, it's a bunch of people in there waiting to get a test. Just a bunch of people. It had to have been about almost 20 people in there. And it was people coming in the door uh, when I decided to desert my cart and get out of there. Um, it just felt like it was way too many people in there just standing around in the front of the store. Um, right by the register, I mean, they have a second door in that CVS and then the little doorway is where they were doing the, the actual vaccine. So these places aren't set up. A sterile is not sterile locations. It's not like a, a minute clinic where it's an actual mini clinic. It's not like that. It is 
this one is doing it in a in a doorway that they don't use. It's like the you know the sliding doors, that little vestibule area, but they don't use that second door. They only use the back door um, at that location, and that's where you getting your shot at. I just this is a lot that I just don't trust. Um, I think I know it may be a little too much for all the hospitals and and uh, offices to. Um, like your doctor's office to administer it to you, you're probably, you know, they a lot of hospitals and clinics probably don't have the proper equipment to be able to house the vaccine because I think you need a special refrigerator um, in order to have the vaccine. Um, I just, I'm, I'm lost right now. I'm confused. Um, I don't understand what's going on. Um, and I'm just, I'm worried. A second part of this news um, me being a person who works in the school system, I teach, um, at this point, I'm not really ready to, um, I don't think I'm ready to return back to a classroom. I don't think I'm ready to, um, I, I really don't think I'm ready because the, the, the children don't have a vaccine and the strategy for the school system is to have these students sitting in a classroom all day long. Um, their enrichment teachers, or if they take other classes like music, I teach theater, you know, uh, their enrichment classes, those people were, are going to be virtually brought into the classroom to the schools who are, are able to do it. Um, a, lot of the, a lot of the schools that are brand new um, well, not a lot of them. The schools that are brand new that were recently built are now all smart classrooms. So they have the technology to be able to Skype in and video uh, virtual and a teacher. But your main teachers, and this is mainly for K through five, um, they're going to be in one room all day long. Um, and that's not abnormal because for the most part, you know, outside of their enrichment classes, which they may have one or two a day, um, they are already, but they're used to moving around to the classrooms where their schools, their enrichment classes are. But I don't know how this is going to work for, um, I just don't know how this is going to work. I don't know if we're ready. And someone sent out a, um, a meme, uh, well, it's like a little post that a lot of people were sharing. And it was saying the same people who are are vouching right now for, for children to go back to school when most of them are in virtual situations with their jobs, um, especially the people who are the administrators of the school, um, are the same people who are who are not voting for more funding for these schools so they can be up to date. So that what they're proposing for these children to do and these teachers to do is possible in all the schools. There are a number of schools that are not equipped, that are not equipped. Most of these schools still don't have effective heating and HVAC systems, but yet you want these children to go into these buildings and be sitting ducks. You know, and not all the children will, I don't think all the children are going to get um of coronavirus or the virus, but a lot of them could pass it on and bring it home 
or bring it to school. You know, I know children who are sent to school with pink eye, stomach virus, chicken pox, <clears throat> a number of sicknesses that can get people really sick. And you know, a child's cold will sit you down. Uh, for adults to get a child's cold will be detrimental to any adult, most adults rather. But I'm not as, as much afraid of this vaccine or this virus as I am worried that a lot of people want to get back to normal. And I don't think right now is the time. I know we, a lot of us have been, have been cooped up in our homes for almost a year. This time last year, I was doing a play. And now granted, I got to do another production mid this in the middle of this year process. Uh, but it was very restricted and very um, limited. We, I think we did an audience one day with like maybe 19, 17, 19 people there, which was still scary. Um, and I think a lot of people are forcing our hands with um, returning back to the school system or trying to get back to normal. Uh, and one of the things that is puzzling me that what people don't realize, the United States right now has the highest number. The second country that is under us is India. India has way more people across the board than the United States has, but their numbers are almost a million less than our numbers. I, I just want in-depth information that you can find out there um, on your own. You can Google it. Um, there's a, a coronavirus tracking that's on a number of uh, uh, sites now. So you can track these numbers on a daily basis. The CDC has this information. Um, and it is amazing that somewhere like India, that is considered a third world country, is has almost a million less cases than we do up until this point in total. Um, and one of the things that is puzzling me that we have these 50 states and territories that all are doing their own thing. You got Maryland starting to open up, but you got this state closing down now, but people are still allowed to travel from city to city, from state to state, um, from county to county without any restrictions yet. This governor and this mayor are fighting, and, and this governor wants to close down, and this mayor wants to like it's too many things, and our numbers are going to keep. It's going to be like having a cold, and it's going to go from your ears, nose, and throat, and it's going to keep going through that cycle until you break it with some antibiotics. Um, but I think this is what is happening overall, and, and I give that analogy to what's going on right now with. Um, this coronavirus, we're going to keep having these, these upticks, these upswings. I mean, if we don't, as a country, shut down for an extended period of time, maybe six weeks, five weeks, and, and let's at least get us all on the same page. But we have numbers where, and, and we're here in Maryland, and for the last maybe I don't want to say a month, but maybe like since mid-January, we've been um, we've been at number 26. 
and and I'm quite sure because we've been able to stay at that number for that amount of time is why our governor, our Republican governor, is deciding to lift the curfew on businesses that were once told they had to close by 10 o'clock. Uh, indoor dining is now um, open in Maryland. Um, I, I know our mayor is deciding to do other things and he's going back and forth on what to do, but you know, across the country, places are allowing indoor and outdoor dining to continue to happen or with a little bit more people, I think up to 50 or 25% capacity. I know people want to get to a norm. I know people are itching to get back to a norm. Um, a friend of mine just flew home to be with her mom and she said there was no, she was like, when they were standing in line to board the plane, she said there was more social distancing in that line than it was on an actual plane. And I know, you know, I know what it feels like to, you know, plan ahead for a trip. My birthday last year, I was supposed to be in New Orleans. Uh, Christmas, I was supposed to be in uh, Hawaii. You know, I had a couple friends of mine, we had planned a trip to Hawaii that was canceled. Um, and we were going to go on a, um, a cruise this year. That damn show is canceled. That ain't happening. Um, but there's a lot of people who are waiting for us to get back to norm and it's just not happening. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, what is going on, um, and why, uh, why our leaders are not putting a bigger foot down when it comes to across the board. And I don't know if this is even possible for our Senate or, or president to enact right now, but all the, you know, federally mandate that all the states, all the cities shut down. I know it's going to be people that break the rule, but if all of the cities have the same rules, the same curfews, and are, are allowed to open up at the same time and they shut down at it, I think we will get a better, you'll see the numbers dip drastically. I, I know it. You know, many of these, many of the states that, that were number one, they did that. And you saw their numbers drop drastically. But once they started opening things back up, just like the school system across the country, many school districts opened back up um, and the children came back into the school system. We saw that in colleges. We saw that in workplace environments. We saw that in um, we saw that in the school systems, um, the lower school systems. And they all um, you can let them in. You can let them in. Um, we just, we just, we saw this happening, and I'm just worried that there is no, um, there is no type of preparation for this. You know, as I said, for the school system here in Maryland, the the strategy. Well, Baltimore. I can't speak for Maryland, uh, and. The strategy here in Baltimore was these K through five, pre-K through five, were going to sit in a classroom all day long, socially distanced. They were they were going to bring their lunch to them. Their enrichment instructors were going to be Skyped in. 
and that was supposed to be the strategy. And we was going to open up in February. And they got so much pushback, a big, huge pushback from the teachers and the teachers' union that they pushed it to March the 1st. And I don't believe March the 1st is going to happen because we're not prepared. It's not enough people who have the vaccine. The children don't have the vaccine. It's not even a plan to administer the vaccine to the children. So what's going to happen? I don't think. Um, can you hear me, Marty? You can let him in. I don't. I don't think there's a plan at all. Uh, so that's that's what has me worried. I wanted to talk a little bit about that today. Um, I want to let you know that the Artist Exchange is back. It's the second show for the new year, and I'll be back on Fridays until further notice. Um, same time, five p.m here on BigExposedRadio.com. Um, I'm also on two different platforms where you can also hear me. Every Tuesday, I do a podcast now where I um, I review film and TV shows with my co-host, uh, George Oliver, and we have a, a, um, we have a special guest coming in every week now. So stay tuned for that. Um, that could be found on Facebook as well as YouTube. Uh, YouTube and Instagram at the binge worthy podcast series, just binge worthy podcast series. Um, and we have, we've had some, a couple of great shows. Our second first show for the second season, we gave a tribute to uh, the phenomenal Cicely Tyson um, after she passed. Um, so watch that episode. Um, I really, I didn't do a big to do with it, but I just went over a lot of her films that are, not as well known, and this showed the the girth of her career, uh, the dedication she had to being a positive image for us all. Um, and throughout Black History Month, we're going to do a lot of Black films that were very impactful to our, uh, our community. So that's every Tuesday at 3 p.m. You can go to the Ben Worthy Podcast, you can go to the, the Artist Exchange YouTube page and watch that live. Um, and then lastly, um, I'm on We Are You Radio, a show, a station out of Atlanta. Um, I'm on the morning show there. So you can find me Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. until 10 p.m. That's a lot. But it's a music format. So if you like listening to music, it's a little talk and there's a lot of music. So tune into that. Um, and me and my other three co-hosts, we are, they are crazy individuals in Atlanta. And I've joined that show. So Without further ado, we got Mr. Lloyd Wheatley. Did I say it? I said it right? Yes, sir. You did, Nate. You did. And he's been on the show before. Um, he is an author and an individual who who uh, has a lot of information, a lot of business knowledge, and I'm always curious as to how artists kind of transition that business side of themselves um, because we got to eat. You know, yes, sir. Especially in a time like this, where we are, <laughs> we are at the lowest pole part of the totem pole when it comes to getting paid and people yeah. uh, seeing us as essential uh, <laughs> workers. Um, yeah. A lot of us have been pushing through, and we're going to le- learn now. Uh, Mr. Wheatley has a new book out. Uh, we're going to learn a little bit about that. Um, and again, for all the artists and entrepreneurs that are looking to come on the show and interview, uh, I focus on engagement. In a time like this that we're in right now, money 
tight and people want to know where their money is going. And not only is money tight, but political views are dividing us more and more. Um, and there's more differences that we're looking at than similarities. So people just want to know that they're supporting somebody who's doing things that they like to do. So I want to not just, you know, promote books and, and products and services, which is great. This is what this platform is for mostly. Uh, but I also want to connect us to each other. I want us to start working together, networking, as well as building stronger uh, uh, fan bases and followings. Uh, so, uh, Mr. Wheatley, without further ado, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Nate. And you? I'm doing good. Uh, how is it up there in Delaware? Is it snowing or is it all knee deep? No, it's the same as where you are. You are in Baltimore, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, okay, I heard you mention Atlanta and only say that because I tune into Atlanta Ooh. every Sunday because um, I have family that's down there as, as that's in Atlanta and in that area, right in Fulton County, actually. So when you said that, I was like, wow, here we, here yeah. you are in Baltimore and you also Atlanta. So yeah, uh, yeah. So maybe so I've been always wishing to move to Atlanta. And um, now that Atlanta is kind of the film, right. um, and it's a lot more than just music and a roadhouse for uh, theater and film, uh, mm-hmm. but it's now kind of its own black Hollywood down there. It's more of a thing. So I'm kind of just stretching out. I'm not leaving Big Spose. I'm, I'm not, um, but I may be leaving Baltimore. Uh, just uh-huh. As it goes, but a um, little less about me and a little bit more about you. Um, okay. First met you a, a couple years ago. I think that was the first uh, authors expo that I went to, and you were one of the many authors that we interviewed on Big Exposed Radio. Um, and uh, do you where where what have you been doing since since then? Well, uh, since the last time we were there. Um, uh, I had a business, of mm-hmm. course, I, and I sold that business, uh, after, you know, doing it for 20 plus years. So it was very successful. Mm-hmm. It was time for me to move on. And since then it gave me more time to really get into the artistic parts of what I like to do. And, um, so that's how the new book, um, got finished. Okay. As, uh, you had mentioned earlier, which you were so correct by me having a transportation or limousine company. Mm-hmm. And it was a luxury limousine company. You know, I was a front line. So it was prior to, uh, you know, the COVID-19. I was fortunate because mm-hmm. I was able to sell in 2019, actually in August. So right when January 2020 came around, and then, of course, we understand March 20, we was in a whole different, you know, world. And yeah. uh, I, was, I just pretty much escaped. But um, uh, I, I don't, the, the individuals who purchased it expanded the company. You know, because I still keep in touch with them. We still do certain things together. You know, I advise them and all. And so uh, since the year or so, it's, con- it's kind of been less of me doing that. But mm-hmm. I still try to stay active in it. And I just pour everything into the arts now. So would, so I'm always interested um, as an artist who took that leap. And that leap right. can be scary. It's, yes, sir. it's never enough. And I think we talked a lot about this the last time. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir a lot enough money you can save up um and you could have a nice cushion that could get you get you places or get you by uh mm-hmm. but but as an artist money is always going out 
you know, is and you're trying to figure out how to make it come back the same with the same intensity that is going out as and triple that. Uh, but how have you been able not getting to your financial, but like say this last year as an artist, you know, how were you prepared to, you know, the unknown? And this year kind of everybody understood, if not uh artists, but everybody understood what it felt like to be a starving artist this this past year. <laughs> I think everybody got a taste of what we go through on a regular basis. Right. Well, it, it's been pretty tough. One of them was I had to change who I was doing business with. Mm-hmm. And and so once I, you know, um, some people around me once said, if you're around people and, and things are not being done as they're supposed to be done or they say they're going to do, mm-hmm. then you're around the wrong people. You need yeah. to go and you know, kind of change your, your environment a bit. And so that's helped. And by doing that, uh, I was m- with a, a company that was much more, um, I want to say, uh, more inclusive. They had everything under one roof. Okay. And, and so by me leaving who we were dealing with over in Ohio and started dealing with some people closer to me here where I am, I'm in Delaware, Delaware, mm-hmm. but um, the people we deal with are in New Jersey and Pennsylvania, and Philadelphia in particular. So okay. they're like an hour and a half drive from where I am. And so I can actually see them, you know, face to face. And they had more uh, of everything. Instead of going out trying to do, you know, like, let me give you some examples. If you go out and say, let me go get the um, uh, the copyright done. Then let, let me go do some artwork. Then let me go do the... Um, Not being outsourced. Yes. And all this was on the one roof. And it was very, very um, affordable. And so once that happened, it was just shows you how um, the time when I began doing something like this last story, I started 10 years ago and and it was on hold because of, you know, the, as you mentioned, the business was bringing the money in and that's how we were putting food on the table was from the actual limousine company. And because I had, uh, it was around for 25 years, I had a a tremendous following and outstanding uh, clients and customers. So mm-hmm. that gave me a cushion to kind of like try to cultivate those arts and transition. I'll tell you, though, Nate, it's a, it's a big difference. You, you said some very key things. I got to tell you this, too. I do follow you, and I was watching your show. I actually, I actually saw your interview with uh, um, Whitney uh, Chantel, and I, and I watched that, and you were talking about, uh, you know, doing business with people didn't get a contract. And <laughs> you spent out money and all. And my heart went out to you. I went, oh, my God. No, he understands this. And he realized that because when you talk that, you know, people start going, whoa. I thought we were pals and friends. I'm here to tell you. And you can see in my bio, we, when it comes to business, it's, n- it's nothing personal. It's oh, business. Good on a friendship. It don't, it don't look good. No. You know, people forget your name when you when you got less to give. Right. So a lot right. of lessons. I'm and I'm saying, you know, out of and I went to I went to college to be an artist. I that's what my major was. Oh. Actor. Mm-hmm. I you know I went to art schools growing up. Like I was always in the arts, but there's no business class. I think all throughout college, I got one economics class. Wow. Oh. And and that economics class was more about the trends of mm-hmm. business and less about my artistry, which is like I am the commodity. Right. Make that connection. So a lot of the lessons that I'm 
I've learned, that I'm learning, and I surely will learn, are, you know, I, I, you know, I have to thank my mom and dad for making my head really hard and my tail harder because I fell on it a lot, you know, and, you know, meeting people like yourself and Miss Johnson, uh, who uh, connected us once again, yeah. uh, and Natasha Richburg and this person and that. I really, you know, I'm listening more now because as an artist, you know what you want and you go for that, but you forget that this, this is a business and it's not personal and no. people are cutthroat and they are <laughs> right. there. They, you know, they, out they will steal your work. I tell you what, I had a chance to see Lee Daniels. He uh, uh, came to, uh, I, I was, you know, I've been in these fortunate position. I'm going to give you a name too. I, I want you to check this person out because he was in Baltimore for quite a while and he went back home to Brooklyn, New York. You're probably going to know his name when I tell you. Well, I'll just tell you now is uh, is uh, Donald Brooks. Okay. And he is at um, another brother uh, entertainment. If you mm -hmm. Google that in or bring that up, Donald and I uh, go back quite a ways into Baltimore. Okay. And so, but he, uh, like you, he was a person that was into uh, media and art and all. And he actually won the Sundance um, national competition like a year and a half ago. So, and I mean, cause his audio and video, yeah, he's, he's really an exceptional individual and he's in Brooklyn. Uh, you can use my name, just go ahead and, and email. <laughs> and, and just in me reading her bio once again, like I'm, I'm I'm not the best at keeping connections because there's a lot of people, but mm -hmm. I'm definitely going to keep in touch because that business side, as you're saying now, is vital. You know, had I not had a little bit of lessons learned and a little bit of sense mm -hmm. and a couple of dollars <laughs> saved up somewhere, you know, under the bed in a, a shoebox, this year would have been detrimental. Mm -hmm. Yes. No. Um, and, and then the other part was when I was uh, Lee Daniels came to Dell State University. I was fortunate to have my book, Blaine Hawk, U.S. Marshall, was being used there at, in the mass con department. Mm -hmm. And so I had a, a, a bit of an invitation through the professors. Okay. And I remember him saying this when he was at the podium. He said, um, be careful of your work because people will steal it. Mm. I went, whoa. And I mean, if he says something like that, and you know, Lee Daniels has written a lot of stuff from the Butler and, you know, uh, uh, and he's really just getting a lot of, uh, uh, notoriety for the work he's done yeah. he's doing this. Yes. And when he said that I took it to mean literally, and that's why I start having NDAs, you know, uh, and non disclosures and. We make sure we anybody we come up when we start passing out scripts and liter, literary works and things like that, we mm -hmm. have to maintain the control. Now, obviously, it's only going to get so far. And that's why you have, I mean, you know, for your control. So okay. you're going to have to have some other like I want to say lines you can't cross, such as mm -hmm. nothing can be transmitted or trans, you know, given to uh, that deals with this subject matter or this information, less is permission from you as the artist. Well, so. we learned, we learned that when, you know, films or TV shows or projects in general are coming out and the companies that are overseeing it, they put a gag order on the people involved in it until it's okay. ready to be promoted because you learn that there's a process in sharing information. Sometimes we get so excited about the stuff that we're working right. on. Right about the process because we see the achievement happening 
that we speak out too soon and people either backdoor you or figure out a way to do it before you. And, you know, it, it really, you know, I, I tell a lot of the younger artists that I work with, I tell them, you know, make sure you own the name that you're using. You right. know, at the beginning of all of this, you know, it wasn't, you know, website wasn't as important when mm-hmm. I started the artist exchange um, about 12, 13 years ago. It wasn't as significant because you I was just in the work of doing it. And I didn't think to get the dot com to my name. Uh-huh. And I've had to finagle it and add a dash in between the words in order to get my dot com now. But back then my dot my dot com was maybe like a couple dollars. Yeah. It's somebody has it and it's ten it'd be cost me a little over ten thousand dollars to to buy it from that person. Because the more people see you put it out there, the more valuable things like a dot com could be. All right. So knowing stuff like that is very valuable. But a lot it's like I was a a, a schooled artist. It wasn't like I just came up and did all this naturally. I went to school and learned a lot of it. Okay. Yeah. Business side, we're not taught the business of being an artist. You learn that when you get that first bankruptcy. That's when you learn <laughs> of it. Uh, but in terms of you, you doing a lot of business, you having your own business. How has that helped you with promoting your books and your uh, literature side of your artistry? Tremendously, because um, as a, a, a student, uh, and I went to college for business itself. Uh-huh. Um, most people don't see the difference between marketing and advertising. Mm. They all, all fall under the same umbrella when it comes to business. Mm-hmm. And there are, as you know, uh, there are target markets. And right. if you have a target market, you have to advertise to it. To answer your question more specifically, when we were in the transportation business, uh, we had to face that many times. You know, what is it that we do? Better question, what is it that we don't do? Mm. And so um, when I was able to do that, because one of the things I would tell students when I would lecture in these classes at the, uh, you know, at the university, wherever, uh, I would say, what do we have different? We have a vehicle that has four tires, has a steering wheel in it, has a seat. It's just like your car. Mm-hmm. And they would be looking like, that's correct. Absolutely. So what makes it different? Right. What makes it different where somebody would want to use it? And that was the, what you hear today, a lot of brand. And then it had to do with certain, um, I, you know, uh, images that we wanted to, aesthetics was the main important. We mm-hmm. made sure everything was always pristine. We made sure it was of the best quality. Okay. I know like every, and this is something that we have that happens with us as individuals, motivationally. We say we like to have things, you know, treat uh, others as you want to be treated. Mm-hmm. And if you go out to get something of service, you wanted to be good. You wanted to be the best since you're paying for it, right? Right. So we made sure we did that. And that was really the biggest difference. That price breaking, making sure we was in a price that we understood what the metrics were for us to make, you know, profit margins. So we we did that. It was, you know, analytics done with this. So we were able to know, understand that. And so we weren't the highest. We weren't the lowest. We was in the price that worked for us. And long as we did that and maintained those aesthetics I was talking about, mm-hmm. not only did we have return customers, but they told other people, you want to use them. But and what and that's how the company kind of grew from that. But what you're saying right now, especially as 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 entrepreneurs and artists, which are the same thing, but 
mm-hmm. separately, but uh, we often either we're in a corporate America job that gives us all of that knowledge and we're using it to yes. make sure somebody else's wife can be leisure and a philanthropist and all those things. But we don't ever, as artists, we never take those skill sets with us. Mm-hmm. Most artists have had every job under the sun. Most jobs, you know, most artists have been in leadership roles and supervisor mm-hmm. positions and service, customer service. And we don't take any of that knowledge with us because we look at that as that's how they do it. Right, right. No, it's, yeah. Any of that knowledge with us in a step. Yeah. That's one of my biggest mistakes. I've been, I've been a, a office manager. I've been in, I've now recently, I've been like, well, I've done this already. Oh, I know how to do a mail merge. <laughs> Faking it then, but I really know how to <laughs> You know, doing the administrative side of being an artist was difficult for me because I'm like, I'm an artist. I just want to create. I don't want to be doing other stuff. But I, I realized, okay, you know how to do marketing. I'm not good at sales. That's just not my right. But I know how to, you know, I know how to put together images and promote them and post them and right. learning technology and apps. But we, I, I don't understand it. Maybe you can share with us why we don't, as artists and entrepreneurs, transition that knowledge where we were working for somebody else. And put that to work for ourselves. I don't. I don't know what what the, the the direct answer to that, except from what I'm listening to you. It's there's um there is some part that says, like you alluded to, and you me- actually mentioned that. Oh, that was them. I don't need to use that for myself. Well, I'm here to tell you, all corporations and businesses are the same. Mm-hmm. The difference is you won't see yourself as that multi million dollar corporation. Because right. you don't have the money, mm-hmm. but um, but to answer your, your question more directly, it is the same technique. There is nothing different. Because mm-hmm. if you watch large corporations from Enron, and you watch large uh, large entities that were multi billion dollar companies that actually had a right. uh, a monopoly, like Energy was Enron, mm-hmm. I, and uh, Anderson and Anderson was a very powerful accounting firm. All of them went over under because why? The same reason they had poor management or made poor decisions in management leadership. Right. But when those things happen, it, you're not insulated based on how much money you have in your company. It's the same if you didn't have any money in your company. It's the same techniques. Those are the, the, the uh, that would be the more direct thing I would say is that don't think that because you're a small business or a small company that the um, methodologies and even the theories of business are different for you. They're not. They're exactly the same. And that, my right. friend, is why it becomes easier because mm-hmm. like you also said, and, and this is so true, I had this with my daughter. She's going to launch a new company here shortly and um, the youngest. And she's uh, uh, um, she's she the, had, the last time. Yeah, well, she had that. She kind of walked away from, got promoted, got a new job. But those entrepreneurial skills, I guess they came from somewhere. <laughs> they still kind of resonate in her. And um, so she's doing this now. But the thing is, you have to overcome your fear. Mm-hmm. And if you don't overcome that fear, it's never going to happen. 
but fear and laziness. And I, ah, I, yes. A lot of people get frustrated with me when I use that word to refer mm -hmm. to us mm -hmm. and how we don't do what we need to do for ourselves. But laziness is attached to fear. They're two separate things, but that laziness, exactly. we will go to work and work hard. Our feet hurt, our back hurt. Oh my God, yes. But when we come home, it's like, I, I, you know what? I'll, I'll do that this weekend. Mm -mm. We don't put half the attention in our own pursuits and dreams that we do for somebody else's dream. I know. I know. I don't, I don't know why that is, but for um, most successful businesses, mm -hmm. they don't have that problem. Because one of the things um, I would always say, and when times got tough, because we was around in 2009 when the economy collapsed, when Barack Obama came in office mm -hmm. after George W. Bush, the economy went into this economic crunch. So we was in the middle of that. Not because of Obama. I just want to make that clear. Oh, no, no. Obama had to clean up the mess. I just, Obama cleaned the mess up. <laughs> take that story a little bit. And, and now that's what we're in right now. But yeah, I just want to make sure that's clear. Oh, he's been, because of his policy, we've been having prosperity even through the last administration. It was all because of Barack Obama. No question about it. Um, um, but in that, during that time and that crunch, and you, you had, we had to make sure that we kept focus on what we um, had to do because if we lost that, we lose our job. Right. You are the job. Your, your company and business is your job. You are. So, you know, you, 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 they was like, what are you doing all this for? I had to borrow exponentially. I mean, I had, I was in debt and not only say no, but they were up there. It was near half, a, you know, way above almost near six figures. And they were like, you're never going to, it took us nine years to dig out of that debt hole. Okay. But the point was, if you don't do this, you lose your job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and now you're financially ruined. Not only do you still owe the money you borrow, yeah. you don't have a job. So how are you going to pay it back? You, that's why the fear can be so huge. And if, and if you don't let, you don't conquer it, right. it will make you go. And then to your point, you cannot be lazy. You will, you must work and you're going to put in more hours for you than you ever did on a job. Idea of trying to get rich quick. That mm -hmm. Doing work that, you know, I have a lot of friends that throughout this pandemic have been trying to get me to, sell Amway and I'm, I'm putting these <laughs> or, you know, those types yeah. of companies. And I, I did that when I was younger. I, yeah. I sold yeah. Luca, Avon, Mary Kay. I, I, and I, some people. A.L. Williams insurance. Right. All of it. <laughs> I, at least for a month. That, that used to be me in my late teens and early. Right. That was, I just tried whatever would stick because I I was afraid of becoming a full-time artist. Mm -hmm. So I did whatever came about, you know, in terms of, okay, this might stick. Or somebody will say, well, we need more black men in this field. And I will go to that field and mm -hmm. realize I don't want to be wiping nobody's butt. I don't want to be nobody nurse. I don't want to, you know, but figuring out what is good for you and yeah. being but to be courageous enough and it's okay to, and I call them benefactors. So mm -hmm. if you have to work a job to get you 
to where you want to go, that's a benefactor. So mm -hmm. go work your little benefactor and get get the couple dollars that you right. need. Make keep a roof over your head, yeah. stable supplies. You know, for that business, do what you have to do, but just know you're working towards your goals. You know, it was it once I realized that maybe mid twenties, it was easy for me to walk away from a job at that point, a job, a benefactor. It was easy for me to do that. It was yeah. easy for me to put my goals first and your, your goals. I know your company has rules, but that's your company. Right, right, right. If I leave today or tomorrow, that still will be your company. It's right. like crumble. Uh, and, and we we do that. We we work these jobs and thinking that if we leave or if we it's gonna crumble. Mm -hmm. No, it's not. They're gonna hire no. somebody that's gonna make that's gonna make less money than you and do more work than you. And that's the end all be all. But we have to put that same energy into our own business. And as our we have to look at all the skill sets that you learn on those jobs. You know, here at Big Spose, I've been able to hire people, be an office manager, you know, really learn a lot of things that I I was like, how am I going to hire an internal? How am I going to hire a new host for a show? Like, how, how, how am I going to interview somebody for something like that? And I realized, well, you were doing it over here. Right, right. Dollars an hour. Yeah do the same thing in your field the things that you want to do and i and it, it wasn't until i really connected those two words and start building a bridge with the things that i've done already those those resume builders right to my own career and it got so much easier I'm, I'm not saying it got easier in terms of being able to handle it but i was able to like work through a lot of hurdles and roadblocks that was stopping my progress. But now I had this pool of information of experience to pull. Right. Um, right. In terms of you now, well, not now, in terms of you uh, living as an author, um, how has your entrepreneurship kind of prepared you to be an author? Well, it was easy because um, the only difficult part of it was, uh, the first part, it was easy because I understood a strong foundation mattered. Mm -hmm. I already knew the fundamentals, you know, I, I, I had bank, I had, a, you know, I, I know law because mm -hmm. I was in corporate America and also was able to deal, deal a lot with legal things with contracts as we had state government contracts. They have RFQs in them. These are some technical terms, you know, request for quotations. So you had to meet the limits of what they were asking for. And these, these contracts was over six figures at the time when I was having them. So you, you know, for us to win them, we had to be precise and understand it. Well, I only had me. And thankfully, you know, by me coming out of corporate America as a manufacturing and then two Fortune 500 companies, I was able to basically understand it myself. And then as I got more and more uh, involved in it and transitioned from that into being an author, the business part for me, for me, because you said earlier, the experience was there because I've had a lot of years of experience in business, that was easy. The toughest part was moving from um, uh, uh, service-oriented sales to retail sales, which I had no experience in. And it's like, okay, this is not, you know, where you go and, you know, I, you know, we dress up in is, you know, in a tuxedo, and we go to a wedding with you, or a funeral, or whatever it might be, or you go out to a, a club or to a party. The, we're with you. 
Um, and now we said, no, no, we want you to buy this item, you know, this, this, this thing I got here. And you go, well, I don't want that. And so um, how do you get that to happen? And, you know, retail sale, you got shelf space. You start hearing about necessity and need. Someone doesn't get it. Don't, don't take it personal. Uh, even with the literary, with books, they're saying, man, everybody, Beto, he's so happy for you. My God. Oh, my goodness. And then when you go out, yeah, they don't get it. And you go, why, why didn't they get my? Because they don't want it. Don't take it personal. They just have no need for it. And, and as consumers, all of us, you know, the economics of the country and the actual economics of the world doesn't operate without consumer want, not need. They want it. I want that phone. But see, that's one of the, the first mistakes that we make as entrepreneurs, as artists. We, our, our first clients are the people that are around us, which is normal. Right. We keep going back to that same pool. And at some point, they tired of giving those love offerings. They, I know. <laughs> exactly. Buying something that they're not going to use. So why? They're not going to use it. Mark, and that's when marketing comes in, like understanding right. who your target audience is. And it's not your mother. It's not your homeboy. It's no. not your, your bridge no. club. It's not them. It's no. often people who are not them. That that is is gonna be your biggest because if you if you bank on and it's, and it's not your hey the, the Nate is not your church and some people going to that church say hey I'm, this we all family so they supposed to get no they not no they not don't expect that I am and me and I'm guilty at the same time <laughs> don't do that and it was it was certain businesses that I would do where certain environments like your fraternity, like your church, you would do great. Mm-hmm. Move into another, you know, I, I was selling tickets for a living. I, I'm an actor, so I'm selling these tickets to plays. And, and people yeah. like, uh, I went to the last one. Well, this is a whole new place. <laughs> I know, they said. Right. I know. But, <laughs> life lessons that you learn. And if you're smart and you're quick, you learn them fast. But hard-headed people like myself, I had to make that same mistake a couple of times and understand, you know, you can't get rich quick. And mm-hmm. things, you know, windfalls happen. And when they happen, they happen. But everything starts with a plan. And if you have a good plan, it will unfold. And it, hurdles are going to happen. Absolutely. happen. But yeah. if you plan and strategize, even the roadblocks become possibilities kind of either they go away the roadblocks go away mm-hmm. and and that's a and uh, my daughter's still doing that she's a uh she has a mba uh-huh. and she's a a, a a vice president in a major bank i ain't gonna name the company because she might be listening to this now <laughs> and and so but when i told her you have to do your business plan mm-hmm. this was like eight months ago and so here you go and you need yeah yeah and you know what? I just saw her Wednesday and she said, you know, I'm just finalizing the last parts of my business plan. She's ready to launch her product. It just goes to show you that when you have, like you met, when you have a business plan and that business plan, they're structural, by the way, there are certain structures in it that should be there. And one of them ought to be, you ought to be the individual, the entrepreneur themselves need to be their greatest, um, uh, I'm going to say, be the best devil advocate that you can be. In other words, whatever you think you want to do well, 
Think of everything can go wrong that you're going to do. And when you have more things on the on the negative side that's on the positive side, you don't want to do that. Even you know that as the person who came up with the list. Mm-hmm. But if you have more stuff on the good side than the short, then you want to answer all those negatives because they are going to come up as you go along and experience. They are going to. But then when that happens, go back to your business plan and look at what your answer was because you understood it before the crisis hit you in the you know the moment of the fire that you said, okay, I, this is what we anticipated. We had an idea now uh, of how to answer this problem. And now you go and follow it. Right. Why does that matter? When you present things to financial companies and things like that, they more than hap- more than happy to give you money. But the main thing you're thinking, and not saying it, but here's what they're thinking. What is your view of and what you're going to do for the us to make sure we get our money back? Right? I lost your image. Nate? Nate? I lost... I lost your image. Yeah, I'm not sure what happened, but he's still there. He didn't drop out. Yeah, I, I can hear you. Can you hear me now? This is the producer. Sorry. Nate. Uh-oh. Yeah, I'm not able to see him. Yep, now he fell off. He's coming back now. Okay. Hello? There you go. Uh, <laughs> Everything just went out on me. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm still here. Um, w- one of the things that I well, as we as we're speaking, things happen. Yeah, and then uh, you can go back and answer that. You know, you have the answer in your business plan, so you want to mm-hmm. Like I was saying, why lenders like that is their concern is if I give you this money, how. Am I going to get it back or give me some assurances that I can feel, you know, comfortable that I'm going to get my money back? So one of the things they're going to ask you for is let me see your business plan. And if your business plan is lined out and has those answers in it, they're going to be more than happy to give you the money because they're going to say, okay, we can read it. We see what your thoughts are. We see where this is going. It's very cogent. We understand that you, you have a vision. You understand what you're doing. And we have financial numbers and projections. We got all this stuff. And they go, okay, now let's give them the money because we feel pretty comfortable we can gonna get it back. So the business plan is crucial. So and 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 this is this has been my issue um as an as an entrepreneur because I was like I, I'm doing it. So what do I need a plan for? Right. No, you can't remember it. Right, not connecting the roadblocks to what that so the the roadblocks the hurdles i didn't understand that that was because there wasn't a a plan and when we business plan this is the goals that you want to meet and if this happens then i'm going to do this and if these are the things that i want to get accomplished so that's what that's what the, in his lamest terms, that's what the business plan is kind of like when things go wrong, this is what you refer to, to keep you focused. That's but right. I, one of the things that I noticed with a lot of artists, 
uh, we do so many different things. I know, we're a lot of hats. Right, so when it comes to building a plan, you get to the point where you're saying, well, this is what I want to do, but you have all of these things. So that means you need a plan for each one of those things. Mm -hmm. And you have to be strong enough to say, well, you know what? I, I can sit this down and I want to focus just on this. And I'm going to say that's what my problem was because I, I had a jewelry company. I'm in radio. I'm an actor. You know, I teach. So all of these things were on in the plan, but none of these None of these things work together. So in, in, in terms of your advice for someone like that was in my place or in my place, you know, how do you itemize what you want to do versus all the things that you're good at doing? Well, that's uh, you can do them all. And I and that's one you not either or what mm -hmm. you can do uh, because you are uh, a brand. Be uh, I guess the radio right. the BXR Productions. I'm going to be XR production. I'm just hypothetically, if I was to answer this, you know, for you, uh, keep doing all those things you're doing, but those should be in areas that you expect to have growth in the company or something you're already doing. That's, that's kind of the foundation of the company. Um, and so uh, like we would have different product lines and we would have different services. And maybe if, if I gave mm -hmm. you a better analogy, um, we were in the luxury limousine company when we started. Then I said we was in the transportation mm -hmm. business. What does that mean? We didn't just do luxury anymore. We had a postal route. We would not do medical okay. transportation. We didn't do taxi cab service. And come now you have the emergence of Uber and Lyft, for example. They mm -hmm. kind of attacked that, that, that market, market. Mm -hmm. that particular market. It didn't phase us at all. We had mm -hmm. no competition because of the markets we chose. We had a fixed bus route, like you get on MTA mm -hmm. and you catch a bus from one side of town to the other. We was running that as a limousine company for the state of Delaware. So we weren't in the, le the limousine business per se. The name of the company was the lim lim Limousine Unlimited, but we had multiple markets in transportation. We were even looking at aviation and, and marine. That's how far out of the box. Mm -hmm. So if I was to write a plan for Limousine Unlimited, I'd say, yeah, this is the foundation. We do weddings and anniversary dinners and at night on the town. But the growth potentials are going to be in mail services, fixed routes, marine aircraft, like you're doing teaching and acting and different elements, the radio, those different, those are all part of your, your companies. Um, you know, um, I'm going to say markets and you can actually do them all. Right. Do them all, but they'll be encompassed in the business plan so that they are accounted for. And then you can go back and in each one of those sub levels, as you mentioned, yeah, look at those and say, there's some bullet points and things I want to achieve in those. And then you got to have metrics to see if those are working. If they're not working, you might want to change your plan a little bit. So, so the last thing I'm going to ask you about business, and then we'll get into these books. Uh, uh, in terms of Simply, I guess, I guess when you get to the point of, okay, I've started this business. Now it's time for me to move on mm -hmm. and, and do something else. Like, how did you know it was time or oh. went into you making your choice that, okay, now this is run its course. It's time for me to move on, cash it out and, and go to the next phase of the dream. 
Um, I, I, the business required a lot of um, uh, logistic planning and a lot of uh, dedicated help, a lot of dedicated help. And over those 20 years or so, a lot of the people uh, were aging out. Um, then it got to the point that I was near retirement age and I was next to the youngest in the group. So what does that tell you? Mm. When I started this at 39 years old and you add 25 to 30 years or so, mm. um, you think you, it'll never end. The ride was fa- fantastic. The money was flowing. It was outstanding. It was great. But then it came a time. A lot of people think I started it. Why do I have to close it down? Exactly. And and some got, but to your point, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore because it was a constant chess game Mm -hmm. that you could never lose. Meaning if you got checkmated, you was out of business. Mm -hmm. And that, that haunting and daunting idea finally came home because I avoided it and pushed it so far back in my mind for so many years. I didn't really care and said, we'll do whatever it takes for this to happen. And we were fortunate, but, um, their thing came a time I was like, you know, I'm just tired of doing this Mm -hmm. and I really want to do what my heart really wants to do. And that is, I've always been, you know, we talked before I was a bit of an entertainer back in the day about that back there in the, in the city of Baltimore so those arts and singing and the mm. whole entertainment side, it, you know, it, it was never gone. It was always in there. And so I had to do what I had to do to raise a family and do all those things, obviously. But those arts and now I become creative and I and look, somebody dared even pick the thing up and want to read it and enjoy it. That was a that was a tickle for me. I was like, what? You know, <laughs> so uh, it, you were, it, it wasn't so much I was just happy for somebody to buy it, but you were just happy to be able to get something out creative and then have a market to be able yes. to put it. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what I took from the first interview I had with you. But is, is so, and in, in now transitioning into a full time author, you know, mm-hmm. what's, the, what's the plan? What's the strategy in terms of, say, you're on book, this is book number two or three? This is book two. Okay, so in terms of you now being on book number two, you made all the mistakes. You went with the flashy company the first mm-hmm. time. Now you're with the more sensible company mm-hmm. that's going to give you more for your your buck mm-hmm. and your time, talents. Um, so you made a lot of mistakes. So and 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 every time you switch careers or switch a dream, some of the same hurdles are going to come back up. Right. How well you listened the first time, it, it may be a little smoother. You're still going to go through it, but yes. it's now a lot smoother. So, what would have differently from the first book to the second book? Uh, the, the, the difference between the first book and the second book was the second book had, um, had more professional art done with it. We okay. had more, um, you know, the editing and the postscript and everything was a lot better. The storyline, I think, by me reading other artists and having time to read other artists. And I have some, some artists I like to read and mm-hmm. their, their style. I was able to pick up style because I can be able to focus my whole sense and ability in it. And so I was able to uh, glean some of those experiences, some of those expertises, I will say, and mm-hmm. started using myself as, you know, and um, then I would have more reading uh, groups. I actually had uh, um, 
uh, uh, Nancy Katz was a, uh, um, worked for one of the major newspapers and she was a person that was actually there to kind of help me because she was um, uh, an editor for a newspaper. So when you started getting around professional editors, they kind of understand how the story ought to go in narratives. And they were always in there, but they was able to let me be more expressive about Mm -hmm. it and say, yeah, you know. And so when I would get these feedback, they say, I didn't like that. Well, you know, that's good. Stay with that. Expound on the motif in the room, for example. Describe the thing. Make it more picturesque in the, in, in the reader's mind before you get into the dialogue. Like you doing film. I, 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 t- I, I listened to you before about the film, and you know this. <laughs> you know that um, dialogue is not necessary in film. The, Sometimes the actor has to do certain things where just their their um their their motive or their their intent comes across the screen and they never open their mouth mm-hmm. where with a book you have to actually spell out the narrative to make the so the reader gets to stay tight to the subject and and be able to make sure they get everything out of the scene you're trying to create where a movie is a lot not simpler because they say you don't need to say anything just cross that out we want you to just give them the look Give them the look, and they go, "What you mean?" They say that look right there. <laughs> you know, that's a wrap. You know, that kind of thing. So, so have you been meeting more individuals that are where you are that are moving into taking their books into other mediums like film or stage or TV? No, I'm I'm trying to be the first one that I in my group that's mm-hmm. able to do that. Um, I'm not been able to come across anybody has done that. I've read about some uh, one or two here in the local area, but mm-hmm. no one has done that. I've been around quite a few people that want to do film or now that it's much easier and less expensive than it was many years ago where you had, you know, you had a whole team and you had to get the film. Now you got the speed of a, a iPhone camera on an iPhone that's at the one that you used to have on your shoulder, that big monstrosity with the, with the, you know, the battery pack, you don't need that kind of stuff now. And, um, uh, and there's streaming capabilities, you know, Netflix and others outlets, they're much, much, um, uh, more, um, you know, accessible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And New York, you know, as far as LA and going out there and being with the big film companies, yeah, was, you was kind of locked out. If you didn't do, if the Jews and things, are, I'm not saying it's, it's anti-Semitic, but they pretty much, Metro Goin and Mayor, uh, 20th Century Fox, you know, Paramount Picture and those things, let's face it. You if know, they value in you, it was hard for you to break into it. Yes. And that's, and so now with this, where you, you can attest to it today, mm-hmm. the system is much more um, easier and you have more opportunity. Everybody, well, I think for the most part now, we still need we still need that following, we still need that marketing, we still need that 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 body of people behind us supporting it because now social media determines whether something's going to get greenlit or uh-huh. not. Uh but but now it's just a different marketing strategy now. You got to appeal to somebody on social media enough for them to make noise. Uh, but where are you with, uh, is it a plan or a strategy or is it still doing your research on crossing over into other mediums? mediums? It's still research um, right now. And, um, I, I'm just, I really want to just 
nail down. I'm actually doing a third book, uh, Nate. It's going to actually be, be out the summer of 2022. And it's cast in Baltimore. And it's, um, it's a murder mystery that's being done. And so um, that's really the focus. I'm about half done with that, halfway through it. But that's where I'm focused. I want to continue to better more of the writing because I, I feel if I get more material out, and it's and it kind of being seen and people can give us some good reviews that mm-hmm. helps build like you know being on your show is an and is an example of that and Diamond K when I was on his show mm. and um and other places so when you get the you know you get some exposure and then the college and the university then they do an article on you in the paper and you know you you get this try to get some type of um exposure then uh I'm sure something's going to happen I just feel positive you know we always say being both of us being um a, a church folk okay mm-hmm. write the vision okay write the vision <laughs> the vision has been written and mm-hmm. so uh I, I expect that to go there somewhere i don't want to give it a timeline but i feel very good about it i really do well i i value that you don't have that sense of urgency that a lot of other authors that i come across have where they got to have a book out every month You know, they got to be cranking it out so much. And I think this microwave generation that we find ourselves in now, they have grown used to artists uh, feeling like I have to make sure they have content. I got to make sure they have content. And then you making all this content, you have watered down your process, your quality, your material, your content. So Mm -hmm. it's as it could have be, been if you had taken that year. I'm not saying we need you to take another 10 years to write. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no, I won't be around. <laughs> At least if you just figured out, okay, in the course of this year, I'm going to finish this book and then I can do some workshops about okay. the book. Some re- so th- things get strong and then you, it's a time when you call on Miss Johnson and we start the marketing and, yeah. and, and although it, so there's a process to it again. That feels like what art was when oh. I was looking at my mentors and asking them questions. And then as an oh, art became wow. a sudden, everything was like this. There was no yeah. time to kind of create something. Look at our music industry. There's yeah. no longevity in the newer music now because yeah. I got to keep getting this out. So the lyrics aren't going to last that long. People aren't going to remember the song in 10, 20 years. Whereas an a older performer, you may not see them as much, but you you can hum their song just off exactly. the top of your head. Exactly. Right. So, and I liken that to art in general. I, I value an artist who has patience and I'm learning patience you know, um, and tapping back into that patience that I once had because I, I was trying to keep up with people, no. keep up with somebody else. Yeah. And running this rat race, but um, tell us about your project. Can you hear tell, me? Yeah, tell us tell about, us. You, you popped out of just a second. Tell about what? I'm sorry. Tell us. What's your latest project, your latest book? Oh, the latest book is called The Promise Keepers. And uh, yeah, The, the Promise Keepers. Tell, tell us about your 
So tell us about the book. Tell us, you know, what went into writing it, the characters and such. Just tell us, give us a brief synopsis of the newer book. Okay. The the, the brief synopsis of the book is um, the characters were created um, from a scientific point of view. I, of course, all of my characters are uh, African-American. Okay. They're always going to be in a positive role. And this was a difference from the, the, the other book. But the story is these are microbiologists. They come up with a formula that's there to help mankind where they're going to be able to live above land and underwater. This serum that they come up with because of their brilliance, um, governments want it. And so conspiracies happen. And of course, they want to use it to make a super soldier and be the most powerful country in the world and all that good stuff. While heroes, or I'm going to call them that, or the main characters in the book, are um, they have an alter ego. And their mm-hmm. alter ego is that they are also been recruited as um, uh, black ops people from the U.S. government, and they are trained assassins. So as the story starts to unfold, these individuals are trying, the bad guys, are trying to get the formula for obvious reason in black market, and there's a mole, and there's a lot of um, other twists in the book. But the main ones are they deal with conspiracies. They deal with um, betrayal. Betrayal is probably um, one of the deepest parts of it. But through it all, um, there there's a reckoning that comes where man believes he's the greatest power on earth, and he isn't. Um, there's always going to be a final say, and we know uh, from a spiritual standpoint that that final say is going to come from God. So the main character has a destiny with his purpose, which is somewhat latent in some biblical term, but he doesn't know that until he goes through this particular process of realizing that. And then he has to come full circle to his destiny. And that's what's going on in the story, but it has a love element um, because I always make sure there's a strong uh, courtship and then a deep romance you know, um, you know, in love and relationship. Uh, I like to talk about interpersonal communication and dynamics. So I made sure the characters had that. And I want to make sure the story is relevant. It actually is in a factual time. So there's going to be some things in there that are factual. They were pulling from my experiences uh, in the military and all. But the story um, really is dealing with esteem issues. They want to deal with the... Um, I want to say heroic actions of certain uh, individuals because they're like almost like a superhero, but not quite. They don't have superpowers. Okay. <laughs> it's not like a cartoon of Marvel kind of thing, but they have the ability to have hope. Uh, and they also there to make sure man doesn't have access to something that he can obliterate and destroy the entire planet. It's, uh, I, I like uh, that you, I hear history in it. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I know the love aspect is something that is kind of like a thread as well. But mm-hmm. I like how your book kind of encompasses things that you've gone through. So you see like that that service industry uh, or, you know, uh, armed forces kind of being an element in it. And I hear a lot of historical um, bullet points that you kind of include in that as kind of like, the action in the story. Um, are you a history buff at all, or is that just part of your experience? That's, uh, I wasn't initially, but um, 
it's now part of my experience and I'm starting to appreciate it more. I was horrible at it, Nate, when I was in school. I was, I, I, you could have put me in a corner with a dunce guy. I mean, I could care less about history because it always focused on white people. I, you know, white people saved the world. Mm. White people saved everything we did. And that's, that's cool, you know, but um, it wasn't reality. And I knew it wasn't reality. <laughs> so as I went forth, um, my, and I would say you picked up on some important part here is that I like to do things with his main, you know, with historical foundations. So I, and I'll superimpose a story into that factual timeline. And, and of course mm-hmm. it has elements of suspense and drama and things like that in it. People will die. There's going to be some horrific uh, horror things going to be in the story, but um, I, I don't use profanities in the book. I won't do, do, do that. Um, but you're going to come close to because some of the characters, they're off the chain. Some of them are really off the chain. So you're going to, you know, you, you get the inference of it, you know. And so you got to be careful as you read it because you'll find yourself saying the word, even though it doesn't really say it. But, you know, if you let your mind go too fast, you'll be saying, and wait a minute, that didn't say that. Oh, I said it. So, you know, it's one of those things. And, um, and it's a way of trying to put some humor in the book as well. And that that seems to be we saw last year with a lot of um, Netflix uh, series or um, uh, movies that are coming out. It is becoming uh, popular again for black people to go sci-fi or deep historical references and cultural connections beyond, you know, the African-American experience and have that be operated in our overall story. Um, and I love when someone can take a, a lesson. Being a teacher, I love when somebody can take lessons in, in education and kind of mix that into storytelling uh, well, because that is, is our history. Our history, it, it didn't, because our history didn't start with slavery. It, no. it's, it's much vast in that. Right. You know, and, and we're much more incorporated into the fiber of say this country. So right. we're not just we wasn't just the feelings. Um so I love that sci-fi uh kind of Afropunk historical reference that yeah. we are getting to showcase now. It's not just you know in our underground you know speak easy clubs but now it's a part of you know our atmosphere. We are actually seeing uh, the results of that type of creativity and that intellect being reflected in our media, our TV shows, our films, uh, even cartoons now, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I, I would love to see all of this action that you've had in your last two books be translated into a different uh, medium, medium, and and see what that looks like and what does that sound like and what the characters look like i mean i'm i am an actor so i'm just oh. saying just just me yeah you know but you <laughs> know writing no, these yeah but nate you know you're hitting right on the point you know um it's interesting because just what you just said about where the film and media is gone and you start seeing more blacks and movie and cast what they're doing now just the other night the equalizer debuted after the mm. super bowl and it had those exact elements in it. And I was like, wow, so this came out at a right now time. And again, I hadn't seen it. Remember, the book is already printed, so I don't know what they were doing. And I didn't see um, 
you know, some of these other shows that they were doing. So this is right in that area. And I was like, wow, you know, I don't know if it was timing was everything or it was just being, obviously it was, you can't judge where these interests go in music and in in film. You don't know where they're going because, you know, people just kind of see how they start to trend. And this book Mm -hmm. and this storyline is, is, is right in line with what we've been seeing lately. And where you again have uh, black people that are not, in the typical, you know, slave step and fetch kind of thing. And they are actually doing positive things. They're in very powerful roles. They're actually doing uh, heroic things. They, they got intellect, they got money, they got, you know, they kick your, your butt kind of thing, you know, whatever, you know. I just like the cultural aspect of it because yeah. we are seen African-Americans. We're seen as a, uh, of, of people who don't have a connection to anything directly uh but i'm loving how a lot of authors like yourself are taking our actual history our reality and and put in a creative platform where we are intelligent we are beautiful we are talented um and we can many of those things and flawed on top of all of it and and really still be powerful and still be poignant i I started today's show with talking about Cicely Tyson and mm. uh, and, and just watching the girth of her work. Um, it inspired me as an actor to not only do more, but to tap into my integrity as a black man, as an African-American, as an African descendant, and right. really tap into work that speaks to my story and yeah. not just, you know, I was reading through your uh, press kit and that's one of the questions that you, uh, that you answered was not everybody's story needs to be told, but I like the fact that everybody has an opportunity in some way, whether it be visual arts, music, performance art, to be able to share their story in a different format, whether on a podcast and we're just sharing experiences or book or in a song or in a performance piece uh, or in an art exhibit. Everybody has a space to be able to translate their experience and it doesn't have to be the same. I'm going to write a book and I'm going to talk about my dark days. And I'm saying that while going through the process of writing a book. Uh, But it is, it's a, it's a honesty that even if it's fiction or a a non, uh, a nonfiction genre, it, it still is your story because this is your right. dreams and your thoughts and your experiences all wrapped up into, you know, words on paper. Yes. So I'm really excited that you are still doing it. This is, this, a th- this is being an artist is a thankless position. We learned it this year, <laughs> but, uh, uh, pushing forward. I, I, I can't wait to see what's next. Uh, and where you take this this next journey um, in in your in your journey? <laughs> so, where can people find the book? How can we purchase the book? And you know, okay. how can we find you? Okay, well, you can um, find the book and get and get it um, at major outlets. Amazon being one, of course. The other one is Walmart. Mm-hmm. You can also go to uh, okay. Barnes and Noble. Um, you can get the, there's a digital, so you can, um, if you don't get the paperback and the heart, you know, the paperback, 
You can download the digital. You can also write me directly at newhorizonpub.com. You can go to newhorizonpub.com is our website. You can click on the store link there. And if you purchase it through that link, um, I will get an email from you with the name, and then I'll go ahead and, and uh, autograph the book. And it will be sent out from our location in Dover, Delaware, to that individual. Okay. So that's if you come through our website. If you don't, you go to the other mediums. Either way, you're supporting and, and, and um, you're getting the story. And, um, and don't, don't let that Blaine Hawk U.S. Marshall slip by you. That one uh, has a lot of – you can use that as a, what they call a cross-curriculum. You being a teacher can appreciate this. You don't use it for just social studies, but what you will use it for as a – on a, on a bridge mm-hmm. or a bridge to it because there are noted historians in there, black Americans who did a massive contributions to American society. And they're in there mixing with our fictional character. Now all them people are in italic. And likewise, if you see somebody in italic in the new book, uh, the Primus keepers, uh, that person is a real person in history. And they were there during that particular time in history. So, mm-hmm. um, Again, from an educational standpoint, I want people to see that the books are giving you an education, but they also are why they're entertaining you. And so if I had a style, the style would be I take factual time of history and I'll superimpose a fictional character mixed with non-fictional characters in that mm-hmm. story and timeline. So when this one comes out, that's going to be cast in Baltimore. There's going to be names of streets, locations, um, people's names have been changed a slight bit. But the incident that happened, if you go back and look in the Baltimore Sun newspaper and stuff, and historically, you're going to go, oh, I see who did that. So um, mm-hmm. those because I was there. So I actually know okay. some of those things happen. So you'll see names and streets like that that are real. And but um, hopefully you get entertained by that. And it's um, it's, it's called Between My Sisters and Me. Uh, where sibling mm-hmm. rivalry leads to murder. So all of the quintuplets, five sisters, um, they're quintuplets born, but four of them or all of them will die and four of them get murdered for a reason. And of course, the Baltimore City Police Department and this brilliant detective agency has to figure out who did it and catch the bad guy. That sounds like uh, th- something that needs to be on a screen somewhere. Uh, but I, I wish well. Um, as I end all my shows, um, I ask you, what advice would you give to your 17-year-old self? And what question mm-hmm. would you ask to your 100-year-old self? Wow, Nate, that, that's a very good question. Um, what advice would I give my 17-year-old self? Um, mm-hmm. We talked about a little bit earlier. Um, um, I would be more patient with doing things and I would have maybe made some choices a little different. Just slow down the process. Don't try to be in a hurry to do anything. Um, um, because you're just set, you're at 17. You wait till you get to like 2021. You'll be fine. <laughs> okay. My hundred years self. Um, I want to do it. I would, I want to do it again. I loved it. I loved every better. I want to do it again. <laughs> So this has been the Artist Exchange Radio Show. Don't forget, tune in every Friday live at 5 p.m. to the 
Be Exposed Radio platform, the Artist Exchange Radio Show. You can find us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, a little bit. about the art and just as a sidebar think about writing a curriculum or a lesson plan along with those historical books that you're writing because it helps a teacher to be able to translate what your vision was to how we can then introduce that especially if it's a theater class or a literature class or even a history class so i'll i'll, I'll charge you with that possible <laughs> okay they i will take that thank you so much that's good advice thank you thank you thank you uh, so next up is the Cocktail Social. Uh, join us live on that crazy, zany show. Peace out, everybody. I'll see you next week. Hi, Ma. See you later, sir. Thank you. Right. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you.